Have you ever gotten lost while driving? Not a fun feeling, is it? I feel like it's even worse when it's dark outside. It's almost like the beginning of a scary movie. I remember one time I was living in Puerto Rico and a family from church had invited me to dinner on their house, at their house on a Friday evening. That was the first time anyone had invited me anywhere. So I said, yes, right away. Um, so my friend, he's giving me directions to their home. And, and in Puerto Rico, you don't use street names usually to give directions. You use landmarks. So he's telling me, okay, you're going to see this, this old beat up car there. You're going to take a right. Then you're going to see this giant rock. It kind of looks like an iguana. That's where you're going to take a left. So I'm just thinking in my head, okay, just give me your address. So I tell him that, you know, just give me your address. I got a phone. I'll use my GPS. It'll be fine. He says, okay, but you got to be careful. One wrong turn and you can end up in the mountains and those roads are dangerous. I said, okay, relax. No worries. It's going to be fine. Um, so that Friday night rolls in and I begin making my way to their house. I got the GPS going. Everything's going fine. I'm listening to music, enjoying the drive. But once I got close to those mountains, I lost cell phone signal. And I was like, you know, that's 14 years ago. So phones aren't what they are today back then. Um, so GPS isn't working. I can't make any calls. So I start looking frantically for those landmarks, trying to remember what he told me. Eventually, I think I'm on the right road. I just need to keep going down this road. Eventually, it's here. I'll turn and I'll find my way. So I continue, continue following that road. It is dark at this point. I can't see anything around me. I get into a, an area. There's no streetlights. But I keep pushing forward into the dark. There was something inside of me saying, this does not seem right. I began to see signs like this, U-turn signs, signs with no words exclaiming, turn around, don't go this way. But I ignored the signs. I just kept moving and pushing forward. Eventually, I find this big sign that has all these different Spanish words on it. I have no idea what it says. But then a few feet from that sign, I see another U-turn sign. And it's there at that sign. I felt something inside of me say, stop, turn around, go home. So I yielded. I gave in. I pulled over and I made a U-turn in that road, heading back the direction I had came, heading back home. It was late at that point. So I was just going to go home. Uh, later, I found out, though, why there were so many U-turn signs on that road. That, that road was leading to a dead end, kind of this, this lookout point in the mountains. I had no idea because it was so dark how dangerous that road was because of the, the steepness on the other side. Uh, but I'm sure we've all had moments like that, whether we're driving or walking or at a new place where we take one wrong turn and we feel like we are just lost. But the truth is there are worse things in life than, than getting lost while driving. Because sometimes we can feel like we are lost in life. Like we've just been making one bad decision after another. Like we've just been going the wrong way, one wrong turn after another. And today we're going to look at a story about a man who loses his way in life, a man who becomes lost in the dark, a man who gives into temptation and turns away from Jesus. When Jesus was 30 years old, he began 
his ministry as a teacher, as a rabbi. And rabbis back then, they would choose what was called disciples. These disciples, they would follow their rabbi. They would learn from them. And they would learn to follow God's word exactly how their rabbi did. And so the whole purpose of these disciples was to copy, to uh, emulate, to replicate their rabbi. These group of disciples, though, they, they did everything together. They ate together. They learned together. They walked together. So you can imagine how closely they would become, not just to their rabbi, but to one another, bonding, becoming like a little family. So Jesus, he, he chooses his disciples, 12 men, the, this wild ragamuffin uh, group of, of dudes. And uh, they've all had their own, they got their own baggage. They've had their own problems in life, their, their own opinions. Uh, th- they've all done some things wrong, but, but they became bonded as they began to follow Jesus. And Jesus would lead them for the next three years to different villages. They would go with him to all of these villages and they would witness Jesus preach these incredible sermons. They'd witness him heal people. They'd witness him do miracles. And they even got to participate in those miracles sometimes. All the teachings, all the healings, all the miracles, they experienced the wonder and power of Jesus together. And it bonded them together. They, they became a little family. And our story, it picks up today at the end of those three years. Uh, it was tradition that uh, when Passover, a Jewish celebration would come around, people would go from villages to Jerusalem and, and celebrate Passover there in Jerusalem. So Jesus and the disciples, they're in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The disciples, they have no idea that in just a matter of days, their rabbi, their friend would be put to death. Nor do they, do they have any idea that one of them one of their little family members, one of their brothers would be the betrayer that would lead Jesus into the hands of the men that wanted to put him to death. The name of that specific disciple, the name of that betrayer was Judas. And even though Judas had experienced absolutely everything that the other disciples had, his heart, it had grown hard and tired. His heart had been slowly drifting away from Jesus, slowly shifting away from Jesus. And as his heart began to shift, he began to be tempted. These whispers were in his ear. What if you would just go this way? Think of how much happier you would be if if you did things on your own, if, if you didn't listen to Jesus anymore. Uh, eventually that, that those temptations made its way through Judas's entire body like a poison traveling through the bloodstream and eventually arriving at the heart. The Bible says that, that Satan entered into Judas. Judas, he gives into the temptation. So at one point in Jerusalem, Judas, he sneaks away from Jesus. He sneaks away from the rest of the disciples and he goes to find the chief priests. Here's what the Bible says. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd 
was present. And the, these next few days after that, after that meeting, Judas, he spends a lot of time looking for that opportunity, an opportunity to betray his rabbi, his friend. His heart had shifted completely away from Jesus. He had given in to the desires of his own heart, of, 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 of what the sin was directing him towards, leading him down this dark, dark road. Now here, for me, here's the scariest part about this story. I have played the role of Judas. There's been multiple times in my life where, where my heart has, has, has shifted, has turned. I've been there. I've been in Judas's shoes. I've experienced those temptations. Well, wouldn't it be so much better if you just did your own thing? Well, what if you went this way instead? Think of how much happier you would be. The poison in my veins making its way to my heart, allowing sin and selfishness to reign, leading me down a road of destruction, leading me down a road away from God. Have you ever found yourself on a similar road in life? Uh, I'm sure we all have. Just like Judas, we have all experienced the signs of sin in our lives. We have all probably all experienced the damage that it causes, the, the hurt and the pain, the shame and the regret, making us feel like we've just lost our way completely, making us feel like there's just no way back. Have you ever felt like that in life? Like you've just gone too far down that road. You've done too much. There's too much sin in your life. There's too much mess. There's no going back for me. There is no way back. That's exactly where Satan wants us to believe. He wants us lost. He wants us feeling like we have nowhere to turn. He wants us thinking, oh, I should just give up. But the voice of God, even in those moments, even in the temptation, even as Satan is whispering lies into our ears, the voice of God is whispering something different to us. The voice of God is whispering, stop, turn around, go home. Remember the, the signs that I saw on that road when I was lost, those U-turn signs? Sometimes we need a U-turn sign in our spiritual life. Sin is always going to lead us to a dead end in life. It's always going to lead to damage and brokenness. So there are times that we need to be reminded there is always a way back. No matter how far off track we get, no matter how far our hearts begin to shift, we can always stop, we can always turn around, we can always go home. Well, but what U-turn signs can we experience in our spiritual life? Well, believe it or not, Jesus, he, he was offering those signs to Judas. Jesus, he knew what Judas was going to do. He, he knew what was going to happen. But even in the midst of that betrayal, Jesus, he continues to show Judas these signs to try and get him to turn around, to try and get him to turn back. And those signs that Jesus shows to Judas, they are signs that he offers and extends to us as well when we are lost on the wrong road. After a few days in Jerusalem, eventually the, the disciples and Jesus, they're, they're going to um, share the Passover meal together. So they have this room. We know it as the upper room. 
You can imagine the disciples kind of like little kids. They get to that room. They, they see the table prepared for them, the, the meal that they're going to enjoy together, this little family, this, this band of brothers. Immediately, they start rushing in, trying to get the best seat, right? Peter, he rushes in, he grabs this seat. He sits down and like, whoa, baby, this is my seat. This seat was traditionally known as the seat of honor. Why? Because it's right next to the host of the meal. So whoever sat in that seat was in a place of honor. Peter, he rushed for it. He wanted it. And who's the host of that meal? Jesus. So all of the disciples, they want that seat. They begin to argue amongst themselves, talking about who should be in that seat. Who's the greatest among them? Suddenly the the argument stops. Suddenly the, the whole room, it just goes quiet. Jesus, he had gotten up from the table and the disciples, they just begin to watch what he does next. Here's what the Bible says. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, sometime during this moment, we're not sure how, but Jesus had directed the disciples away from the table. They had gotten up out of their seats, moving towards Jesus And then Jesus, he begins to wash their feet. And this was unheard of for a rabbi to do. This was the job for the lowest servant in the household. Back then, people didn't have shoes like we do today. Um, They mostly wore sandals or went barefoot. (laughs) The the roads were all dirt and and mud. And sometimes there's even grosser stuff than mud on those roads. So so sometimes people's feet could be very, very dirty because they didn't have the shoes like we do. But Jesus, during this moment, he's doing more than just washing dirty feet. He's extending this act of service. He's extending this act of love. And it symbolizes one of the greatest acts of love ever, forgiveness. Washing away the mess of sin. So one by one, he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Imagine as he gets to Judas, he gently takes Judas's feet into his hands and begins to pour the water over his feet and then begins to gently scrub away the dirt and the grime and the mess. Then he takes that water and begins to rinse the feet, watching all of that dirt and grime just go away, making the feet brand new, clean. Then he gently takes that towel and begins to dry the feet. Imagine Judas in that moment. What what is he thinking? Was he apprehensive? Was he screaming in his mind? Don't touch me. You don't know what I'm about to do. I don't deserve this. Please just, just leave me alone. What was Jesus trying to show Judas in that moment? After Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet, they begin to make their way back to the table. 
But during this moment, Jesus, maybe he puts his arm around one of the disciples and he begins to usher that disciple to sit in that seat of honor, that seat that would be right next to him. Peter, he is no longer sitting in that seat of honor. Who did Jesus place in that seat of honor? Judas, the betrayer. Then Jesus, he begins to speak. He begins to tell the disciples some things that are going to shock this little family. Here's what the Bible says. After that, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified very truly. I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. A bomb dropped on that table. Now they kind of all just looked around like, us? One of us is going to betray you? One of us is going to turn our back on you? One of us is going to lift our heel against you and, and kick you? No way. We've been together for three years. We're so close. We, we've witnessed Jesus do so many amazing things. How, how could one of us turn against you? And they're saddened by this. They're confused. So one by one, they begin to ask Jesus, is it me? Is it I, am I the one that is going to turn against you? Not one of them pointed at Jesus or at Judas and said, oh, it's gotta be Judas. There's something about Judas. It's gotta be that guy. None of them is suspected Judas. They just... <laughs> Instead, they all wondered if it was themselves. They believed that Judas was just as devoted to Jesus as the rest of them. Can you begin to see the tension rising at that table? Can you see Judas maybe sweating, wondering how does Jesus know? The disciples, though, again, they're like kids. They wanted to know. They couldn't let it go. So Peter, now he's sitting over here. He leans in close to John. Yo, John. He's whispering, ask Jesus who it is. John's like, okay, I'll ask him. He's sitting on the other side of Jesus. So John, he leans in close to Jesus. Yo, Jesus. Who's going to betray you? Jesus. He leans back into John. He leans into John and he whispers and says this. Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Now this piece of bread that he was about to extend, it's more than just an offering of food. This piece of bread was known as the sop. The giving of this sop, this, this dipped bread, it designated special honor. It, kind of like a, um, a toast at a banquet. Kind of like a, a toast at a wedding. The host would take that piece of bread and they would dip it into the sauce that was prepared for the Passover lamb. And that sauce, it was like herbs and spices, all, all this other good stuff. They dip it into that sauce and then they would extend that dipped piece of bread as a gesture of admiration, as a gesture of reverence, they would extend it to the person who was sitting in that seat of honor. And that sop, that dipped piece of bread, it was a gesture of love and peace. It was a gesture of friendship. And who's sitting in that seat of honor now? It's Judas, the betrayer, the traitor. Here's what the Bible says. 
Then dipping the piece of bread, Jesus gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him what you are about to do, do quickly. Jesus, he's extending this one last gesture of love to Judas, extending one last invitation to friendship. But Judas, he, he still refused. Judas, he refused to turn back. So he leaves that seat of honor. He leaves that place, turns his back on Jesus and begins to walk out on Jesus, walking out into the darkness of night walking down a road that will lead to brokenness, to tragedy, to destruction. But, but in that scene, did you notice all the U-turn signs that Jesus continued to give to Judas? And what I love about those signs, they're progressive. They intensified one after another. The, the first sign that Jesus gave Judas was when he washed his feet. And this was a plea for Judas to make a different choice. Jesus washes his feet, showing love to even this man that would betray him, that would turn against him, showing Judas, you can still turn around. All will be forgiven. All will be washed clean, made new. And Jesus, he's calling Judas to repent. And maybe that word repent, it's kind of a churchy word. So, so maybe you've heard it before, don't really know what it means, but it literally means a change of mind to turn back, to go a different direction, to turn back to God. Jesus, he was extending that offer to Judas, showing him that he could still turn back. He, he could still repent. Jesus, he extends that same offer to us. We can take a U-turn back to him at, at any time. And when we do, he will make us clean. We turn back and Jesus, he directs us to forgiveness. And that's what often keeps us going down that wrong road, right? We, we think we've just messed up too much, that there is no forgiveness available to us. This, this weight of sin, this weight of pain and regret, we just can't let it go. Forgiveness, it's just not an option for us. We might as well just give up. But Jesus, he is always, he is always, he is always bending down with the water in a basin, with a towel around his waist, ready for us to repent, ready for us to turn back to him so that he can wash us clean. The second sign that Jesus gave Judas was, was when he placed him in that seat of honor. Jesus was still trying to show Judas just how much he loves him, trying to show Judas that, that he can remain. You can stay close to me. You can stay with me. That being close to Jesus, it'll change everything. Jesus, he's calling Judas to abide in him, to remain in him, to not give up, to not give in to the temptations. And Jesus, he offers that same sign to us. Shannon's just waiting for my mic to make another noise. The Holy Spirit ain't going to allow it. I, just joking. It might happen. But I don't know. I don't want to be uh, weird. Think, uh, okay. All right. This sermon's taking a shift. Uh, but where? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we can turn back. We can make that U-turn. And when we turn back to Jesus, he will usher us. He will direct us into a place of honor next to him. And Jesus, he's calling us to do the same thing, to be close to him, to remain in him, to be seated in his presence. 
He will not send us away, but he will accept us and he will place us in that place of honor. The the third sign that, that Jesus gives to Judas was that sop, the dipped piece of bread. Though Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, still he treated Judas like a friend. He extended this gesture of love and peace, showing Judas that nothing had changed in Jesus' heart towards him, and that he was not going to give up on him. Jesus, he, he continued over and over to invite Judas into a deeper relationship with him, wanting their relationship to develop, to grow, and to thrive into a friendship. Jesus, he extends that same offer to us. As we stop, as we make a U-turn, he does not hold it against us. We turn back and Jesus, he will direct us into a friendship with him. Jesus, he said before that the whole reason he came to this earth is so that we might experience life to the fullest, an abundant life. And the key to that abundant life is a deep and rich relationship With Jesus, he's calling us to turn our hearts towards him, to to remain with him, to stay close with him in a friendship. He doesn't just accept us into this friendship. He doesn't just allow us in, okay, you can be here too. Max did an amazing job of explaining this last week. He doesn't just accept us. He wants us. He wants to be close with us. And so do you see the progression of those signs? All of those signs are are intensifying, drawing us closer and closer to Jesus. We repent and turn back towards Jesus. He forgives us, washes us clean, moves us into a seat of honor right next to him, allowing us to abide in him. And it's there in his presence that he extends an invitation for a relationship for a friendship with him. And when we are in a friendship with Jesus, growing and developing, we will thrive in life. We repent, we abide, and we thrive in the presence of Jesus. But we have to be willing to stop and turn around. We have to be looking for those signs when we need them in our lives, reminding us to make that U-turn back to God. Jesus, he was not giving up on Judas. And Jesus, he will never give up on you. No matter how lost you feel like you may be sometimes, no matter how dark the road might get, no matter how unfamiliar your surroundings may be, there is always a way back. And Jesus, he is that way. See, Judas' story, it ends in tragedy. Judas' story, it ends in destruction. Once, once Judas begins to see all of the events unfold after he betrays Jesus, he begins to see everything that's happening to Jesus. Oh my gosh, I've sinned. Oh my gosh, what have I done? He begins to hold that weight of money that he had been given and he begins to think, I, I can't hold on to this any longer. I, I can't keep this. I, I have sinned. So Judas, he goes to the chief priests in the temple. He goes to the chief priests and says, I have sinned. I can't keep this money. I I can't hold on to it. Please take it back. Chief priests say, "Uh, no way, dude. We can't take that. That's blood money. We will not accept that. You have to deal with that on your own. So Judas, he, he takes that money and he throws it into the temple. 
And because he felt like there was no way back, because he felt like forgiveness was not an option to him, tragically he goes and he takes his own life. Judas, he had been trying to repent. He was trying to repent. He realized he had sinned. He realized he had done something wrong. He was trying to repent, but he had gone to the wrong person. After he felt the weight of that money, after he realized he had sinned, after he felt the shame and the regret, instead of going to the chief priest, where should Judas have gone? He should have run straight to the foot of the cross. He should have turned back to Jesus. He should have run to the foot of the cross. He should have dropped at the base of the cross. Oh, dear Jesus. That's what he should have said. Like I'm saying now for my mic. He should have dropped to the foot. He should have wept and asked for forgiveness from Jesus. He, he should have taken that weight of that money and dropped it at his feet. And here's the question as, as Jesus in this scenario, if it did happen like that, as Jesus hangs on the cross, his, his nails in his wrists, nails in his feet, his face beaten beyond recognition. His beard had been torn out. A crown of thorns had been placed upon his head. Blood was just dripping down his face, down his body as he viewed Judas at the base of the cross, as he watched his own blood drop and cover Judas. Would Jesus still forgive him? Would Jesus still consider him a friend? The answer is yes. Without a doubt. And maybe you're thinking, how can you know that? How can you be sure of that if it happened like that? Because he did it for me. There's been so many times in my life where I went the wrong way, where I did the wrong thing and the weight was just too heavy to hold. And Jesus said, you don't have to deal with that on your own. You can give it to me. You can leave it at my feet and I will wash you clean. He did it for me. He did it for you. So in my mind, if that scenario had happened that way, if Judas had run to the foot of the cross as Jesus was being crucified, as Jesus looked down from the cross and he viewed Judas, Judas and saw his blood dropping on him, in my mind, Jesus, he would whisper, my friend, welcome home. See, God, he gave us the ultimate U-turn sign to always lead us back to him. He gave us Jesus. My friends, our, our stories, they do not have to end the same way as Judas's. Jesus is and always will be the way. Jesus, he is constantly inviting us to the foot of the cross. That's where we should always run. That's where we should always go. You see, it's here at the foot of the cross where we'll be, we will be washed clean. It's here at the foot of the cross where Jesus is inviting us to lay that burden down, to lay our sin down, to repent and ask for forgiveness and he will wash us clean. And it's there at the foot of the cross where we will find our place of honor next to him, where we, we are able to sit and remain in his presence. Because all of that sin, all of that shame, all of the things that we've done wrong, 
Jesus, he took it upon himself. He said, you don't have to deal with it. Let me take you and I will die for you on the cross, allowing there to be no separation between us and God any longer, allowing us to remain in the presence of God no matter what. And it's there at the foot of the cross where we see just how much Jesus loves us. At the foot of the cross, we see just how much Jesus wants to be our friend. No one has greater love than the one who gives their life for their friends. And because of the love of Jesus, because he chose to lay down his life for us, you're going to have to say it with me this time. Ready? There is always a way back, no matter what. Because of Jesus, God, he allows U-turns. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we always have a path back to God. Uh, always have a way back home. But that is not the end of the story, is it? The story of Jesus, it does not end with his death on the cross. The story of Jesus, it does not end in the grave. Because even though he was betrayed, even though he was crucified, even though they took his lifeless body down from the cross and wrapped him in linens and, and placed him in a tomb, three days later, by the power of God, Jesus was risen from the dead. And that story, the story of Jesus, it continues today with the living, breathing, resurrected Jesus sitting at the right hand of God in a place of honor, interceding for us on our behalf, constantly inviting us closer, inviting us into a friendship with him. Have you come today feeling lost? Have you come today with God whispering over your soul, stop, turn around? Come home to me. Because here's the thing. You matter to God. Again, he doesn't just accept you. He wants you. You matter to God. Did your heart need to hear that today? There are days that my heart needs to hear that, hear that all day, every day. I need that on repeat. You matter to God. That's why he always allows U-turns. That's why he always will be whispering over your soul, trying to lead you back to him. That's why he sent Jesus to be our way back to him, our, a way to abundant life, an abundant life that is available to us right now, today. So we run to the cross. We weep at his feet. We, we lay down whatever is weighing us down, whatever mistakes we have. We repent, we abide, and we thrive in the presence of Jesus. And we allow the voice of Jesus to echo in our brains. My friend, welcome home. But here's the, here's the thing. That, that is the heart of our church. We, we believe that people who are far from God, they matter so much. So our mission is to know Jesus, but to make him known. Our, our mission is to remain so close to Jesus that his love and grace just begins to shine through us so that those people who don't know his love, those people that don't know his hope, the people that think that their story is over, the people that think it's, it's all done, there's no going back. We need them to know that the story, it's still going on, that Jesus, he is alive, he is well, and he is moving in their life, whispering to try and bring them back to him. And when we think about that, I know, I'll say this, there, there are people in our lives that we know need to make a U-turn. 
There are people in our lives that we know are just heading down this road of destruction. They're, they're experiencing the damage and the pain and they don't know what is available to them now. So it's up to us to be that light. It's up to us to invite them to church. It's up to us to invite them so that they can sit in the presence of Jesus and realize just how much he wants them, how much he desires them, how much he loves them. And so we're, but it takes our own effort, right? It takes us watching the signs, staying on the right road as well. My, my dad said something to me. My dad always has these really smart things to say, obviously. But yesterday I was taking him and my mom home after church and he says, you know, repentance is a lifestyle. Repentance is not a one and done thing. We, we should constantly, we should be constantly repenting, constantly going into the presence of Jesus. So part of doing that is hearing God's word. Part of doing that is praying and staying in God's word. And that strengthens our faith. So something we want to do as a church, as we move towards Easter, um, we're doing something that we did last year called The Daily Gospel. It's a podcast. Through this podcast, we're going to be reading through all four Gospels. Uh, so you, you'll turn it on. You'll just listen to me or dad or, or George or Josh or Shannon or another staff member read through those Gospels, three chapters a day. Um, so it kind of gives you a list. If you miss a day, you can always catch up. And then on the back, though, this stuff is reflection, stuff that you can write down. But this is, to me, this is the most important part. This is where you can write down those names of those people who you know need to make a U-turn, those people who need to come back to God, those people who need to know the story, who need to know what's happening. And you can think about inviting them, pray about inviting them to Easter. Statistics show through research that people are just waiting for someone to invite them. And if a friend invites them to church, they're most likely going to say yes. So take your time through this. Pray over these people that you know in your life that are far from God. And pray about inviting them to Easter Sunday or Saturday so that they can hear the story of Jesus and experience his love. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.